um, in January 1981, Ronald Reagan was the new incoming president of the United States. And on the morning of his inauguration, he overslept. <laughs> the, chief of, the chief of staff knocked on his bedroom door and said, hey, uh, Mr. Ronald Reagan, he's not Mr. President yet, you know, but he knocked on his door and said, Mr. Ronald Reagan, um, in a few hours, you're going to be inaugurated as the next president of the United States. You need to get up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the story goes that after a few minutes, Ronald Reagan poked his head out the, out the bedroom door, hair all disheveled, still kind of, you know, groggy from a night's sleep. And he looked at the chief of staff. And the chief of staff's like, come on, you got to go. You gotta be, you're going to be president. You're gonna be, this is happening. Ronald Reagan looked at him and said, do I have to? <laughs> you ever feel like the burden of leadership is just too much to bear? You ever feel like it's just, you know, too much to take on, maybe at work? Maybe it's too much to bear at home? Uh, maybe it's too much to bear at church? And as we continue to series, we're going to look at healthy habits that every leader should have. And as we try to lead like Jesus, it's the healthy habits that make leadership bearable for all of us. Any small habit or any small discipline that you develop can help you exceed and excel as a leader. Now, when I talk about the word habit, I want you to picture in your mind a, a pulley system, if you would. A pulley system enables you to lift and bear a weight that you could not otherwise lift on your own. Now, last Saturday, a week ago, you know, I, I've got some back issues, you know, and, and I, I was uh, uh, at, the, at, a, at a store, and me and my wife and little Abigail, now, little Abigail, you know, She's not little as she used to be. And I keep thinking in my mind, she's a cute little four-year-old Abigail, but she's eight, you know? And, and there was a little dumpster, it was empty, but I picked up Abigail, and I was going to throw her in the dumpster. And I got her in the dumpster, but in the process of throwing her in the dumpster, my back got all twisted up. I needed a pulley system to pick up Abigail. And, uh, and a man, and I don't know if you noticed last Sunday, but last Sunday it was in so much pain. I had to, in fact, I called my chiropractor. He's here today. It's Rachel's dad. And I called him on Saturday night. I said, I know where you live, but I'm coming to your house, and you're going to help me get this back figured out because I'm in so much pain. And uh, he was able to help, but on Sunday morning, I mean, I was like a Frankenstein monster up here, you know. I was just very, very careful, you know. You know, and I needed a polio system. Listen, a polio system can help carry the heavy things that you can't lift on your own. But think about the pyramids. You think about the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. I mean, it's a, it's a masterpiece. It's an engineering marvel. And it's because they use a series of pulleys to pick up those heavy, heavy rocks that they could not pick up on their own. They carried those rocks and would allow them to do more than they ever thought was possible to create those beautiful monuments and the beautiful buildings and the pyramids and the temple. 
I want you to think about that with each healthy habit, like a poly. It enables you to lift far more than you thought you could bear. Healthy habits, it helps you to lighten your load, to increase your leadership capacity. Now, here's what we're going to do for the next two weeks. You know, this message, you see four points. I'm only going to cover two points today. You have to come back next week for point three and four, all right? And so you got to come for both weeks to get this whole message. I'll give you four healthy habits in the next two weeks. We're going to only ac accomplish two of them this morning. Two habits. So here's the first one. I believe the very first poly, if you would, uh, the very first one is exceptional leaders continually model humility. They continue to model it. We kind of, it's the same, little bit of the same theme about Jesus. But that's what leaders do. They continue to model humility. And, and why do we talk about this again? Because this is an ongoing battle, right? An ongoing battle. You don't reach a point in your life where all of a sudden you say, hey, I've mastered humility. Because if you're saying that, then you did it. Someone, and I read a great quote, but someone said this, humility is like underwear. You need to have it, but you don't call attention to it. <laughs> Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter 11, verse number two, when pride comes, then come disgrace. But with humility, comes wisdom. By the way, Solomon doesn't say if pride comes. Solomon says when pride comes. Because we are constantly in a battle with the flesh to elevate, to think more highly of ourselves. And that's why you have to be intentional to model humility. And unfortunately, we live in a world where some leaders, they, they think that humility, and they're wrong, by the way, but they think that humility is a sign of weakness. That if you're, if you're the top dog, you know, you, better, you, you can't show any sign of weakness. You, you've got to build yourself to be this person. And you've got you to gotta brood you got brutal confidence. It might have to be a little arrogant. You got to kind of know. And, 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 and we think that if we show humility, we're showing weakness. And survey after survey after survey shows that employees consistently say that humility is a much more attractive value, more important value than that of arrogance. They say being real. It's what we're more interested in than a leader who's always being uh, arrogant. And the Apostle Paul, he talks about the thorn in the flesh in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about this thorn in the flesh, and what he's talking about is the personal struggle, this weakness in his life that he can't get rid of, and it's holding him back. And Paul felt that this thorn, this weakness, uh, and his life weakened his leadership. And so Paul prayed, and he prayed that God would remove 
uh, the thorn in the flesh. I want you to see how God responded to Paul in verse number nine. This is the words of God. God said to Paul, my grace is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. It said, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And that was a, that was a game-changing moment for Paul. And Paul responds at this. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. By the way, he said weaknesses. Paul is admitting not just one weakness, but multiple weaknesses. He said in verse 10, he said, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Huh. I delight in it. I delight in insults and hardship and persecution and difficulty. He said, for when I am weak, then I am made strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We all have weaknesses. So why not admit them, admit our weaknesses instead of pretending that we don't have any? Your leadership value as a mom or as a dad as a person at work, a co-worker, or whatever your boss, your leadership value will go so much further when they know that you're not so perfect. When you can make mistakes, and we all make our mistakes. Our leadership value and who we are as a, as a parent, as a boss, as a leader, will go so much further. For some of you, uh, you know about my weaknesses, which I... Uh, I talk about from time to time. I talk about, you know, I have a, a very low self-esteem. I have a very low um, outlook about my own personal life. You know, being 80% deaf and, and, and speaking funny a little bit and oftentimes tell little kids that I am from England and, and even though that's not true. <laughs> and uh, that's a way to cover up, you know, <laughs> cover it up. And uh, let, me, let me give you a few ideas on this. You know, um, you know, sometimes I look at my, my deficiencies, my handicap, and I often say, God, because I have this going on in my life, I don't have the church. You know, we could have more people. This is the weakness. This is what I struggle with. I say, God, you know, I, God, I don't even know why people want to come hear me anyway. I start to become negative. I start to get down on myself. And I, I start to look very inward. I have to remind myself who I am in Christ. That I don't live for the audience of many. I live for the audience of one. And he's the one that matters. And whether I have one family that comes and hears me every Sunday or multiple families, I say, God, you bring who you bring. It's fine. I trust you. But I, I got to be honest. There's been times where I struggle with this. It don't take much. But I could struggle with this area. Sometimes I feel inadequate as a pastor. I, I, this is my second church. First church was in Florida. I would serve under a pastor. You know, 
I didn't have to carry the weight. It was relief knowing that there was someone above me that carried and bore all the weight of the church. And then the decision I made had very little consequence compared to the decision that he was making. And I never understood that until I became a pastor and I felt the weight. I felt the weight of every decision that, that got to be made. I feel the weight of, okay, I've got people on my staff. I got to make sure that they get taken care of. I feel the weight of the people in my church. I feel the weight of it all. And I feel all of this, and, and if I'm not careful, I begin to look inward. I start looking at my inadequacy. That makes sense? Deficiencies. I look at what I'm not good at. And I say, man, I'm not, I'm not God, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I feel weak. I, look, I start leading out of fear, rather out of faith. I've learned that I have to look upward. I have to look upward. I have to stop looking inward. To start looking up. And I realized this, that there is, when I start looking upward, I realized that there is someone that's higher on the organizational chart than me. That there is someone that holds a lot more authority than the title lead pastor. And there's someone that I can go to, and that person, in fact, he purchased the church with his own blood. And the the cool thing is this, is that this church, God's church, will outlast me. And it's not dependent on me, because God never said that we're building the church on Scott, or building the church on any one of us. He's building a church on the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. In your workplace, you know, you may be at the top of the food chain, right? You might be considered the big chief, the, the head honcho, the top dog, you know, the big kahuna. I don't know, whatever it is that you're called. But may I lovingly remind you that there is still another layer above you on the organizational chart. And so I said, no, I don't work for the church. I, I work in the marketplace. You know, I work in a secular job. You know, I don't answer to God like you might have to answer to God in a church ministry. Remember what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, that's not just talking to the pastors. That's talking to you're at work, whether you're a boss or you're a co-worker, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, whatever you do, the Bible says, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. And not for human masters, not for your boss. He says in verse 24, is it the Lord Christ that you're serving you see, if you model humility and partner with God, that habit becomes a pulley to help you to bear, to carry the load, to bear the weight of leadership. But if you try to do it on your own, if you try to do it on your own, and you think you don't need the Lord, 
eventually your leadership will suffer. But when you admit your weaknesses, when you admit your blind spots, that's when God comes alongside of you and does his best work, not because of you, but in spite of you. So exceptional leaders, they model humility. They understand that there is a person that's higher above them, and they don't live with this air of arrogance, but of humility. And they start looking upward, and they're able to share their weaknesses with others, and inspire others to follow. That's the first habit. Here's the second habit, so important. Exceptional leaders learn how to handle criticism. We learn how to handle and deal with criticism. You know, in my 20 years of ministry, I have received a lot of criticism. And a lot of it, I deserve it. <laughs> you know, I deserve a lot of them. I, I remember when I was uh, young in ministry, down in my first church in Florida, and I was teaching children's church. A children's church had about 100 kids. First to fifth grade, 100 kids in the room, and I'm telling a story, and somehow I accidentally said something about a certain holiday that the person at that certain holiday wasn't real. Y'all get with me what I'm talking about? <laughs> All right. But I actually told the whole thing. I said, hey, you know, y'all know that not real. So about the first to fifth graders. Now, I'm oblivious, but all those kids' eyes started to get really, really sad. <laughs> all the volunteers, they just can't believe I just said what I said. And I had no clue. I had no clue at all. So the next day, on Monday, I get called to the pastor's office. <laughs> Sit down like it was no big deal. Pastor Godfrey, you know, he spoke a few weeks ago up here. And uh, he said, Scott, um, I heard you spoke in children's church yesterday. He said, yeah, yeah, you must have heard some great things. Well, <laughs> I have been getting emails and emails and emails from parents everywhere. <laughs> Apparently, you said something. And I, had, I was like, oh, no. I am so sorry. I didn't mean to. It can't, came out. I didn't even realize I said it. And I learned a lesson. You know, you would lovingly, you know, uh, took care of me, and, uh, and I learned some things from it, and I learned a lesson from that moment. Whether I deserve criticism or not, whether you deserve criticism or not, here's the reality. We will all, like it or not, we will all be criticized. All of it. Now, I've got special privileges. You know, being 80% deaf, that means I only hear 20% of the complaints. Unfortunately, y'all got 100% hearing, and so you get to hear it all. Listen, you and I will face criticism all day long. It's just a part of life. I don't know what it'll be for you. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe in your family. Sometimes Christians can be the most critical of other Christians. I've seen that. I've seen that. So how do we lead like Jesus when it comes to criticism. How do we deal with it? By the way, Jesus was perfect in every way without sin. And yet, 
He was constantly criticized all the time. The Pharisees were constantly going after him. They were picking him apart, criticizing him for, for eating and hanging out with the sinners. They were criticizing him for, you know, for doing healing on the Sabbath. And they just went on and on and on. They were just criticizing Jesus for everything. They were following him and trying to find a misstep. And just when they thought they found a misstep, they would just kind of make it up. Because they were so angry at Jesus. And when you study the life of Jesus, we see two things that he did to deal with criticism. He either, number one, responded to it, or number two, he dismissed it. He responded to it, he dismissed it. Let's talk about the first one. When you respond to criticism, notice that I didn't say react. It's respond. There's a bit different from responding and reacting. Oftentimes, what we do, we react. We get it, you know, we, 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 someone says something to us, and we say, how dare you? Someone cut you off on hard road, how dare you? We get on social media, we air it out. You know, sometimes, sometimes hey, sometimes we, we, we let everyone know, by the way, rant coming. And we react. We react. By the way, I, I say this to people all the time. Don't try to solve your public, I'm sorry, your private problems on a public forum. Don't try to solve it there. That's not the place to solve it. And yeah, I see it done all the time. Instead, we need to prayerfully respond and not react. And so that's the first one. Jesus was great at responding sometimes. But then we got no one to dismiss criticism. Got no one to dismiss it. We need to lean on God. We got no one to shake it off. Something that might not be accurate. You know, for example, if someone comes to you, let's just say, let's start this way. Let's say that 12 to 15 people come to you and they all tell you about the same thing. But that's the Constructive criticism is something to be listened to. There are, there's some value to constructive criticism. In fact, I say this: never ignore the value of constructive feedback or constructive criticism. And so, if twelve or fifteen people all tell you the same thing, I can probably fall underneath that. You need to listen. I say, listen. We can learn so much from people that care about you. That wants to speak the truth and love. Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 31, whoever hears or whoever listens, life-given correction will be at home among the wise. And then he said in verse 32, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who hears correction or listens to correction gains understanding. One of the most valuable things that you can do as a parent, as a leader, as a Christian, you know, as a student, as an employee, 
is to crave helpful, constructive feedback. It can be life-changing, so don't ignore it. But however, let's just say you have that one or two people who doesn't know you, or maybe they don't know the context of the whole situation, or maybe you've got this one hypercritical, negative person who hasn't said anything positive to you since the 1970s, all right? then there may be a time where you have to dismiss it. There may be a time for that. Sometimes, you may have to choose your battles wisely in this matter. Do I respond or do I dismiss it? Now, Jesus, he knew how to do both. And he did it so well. There were times where Jesus was trapped, where they were trying to trap Jesus with a, with a question or two. And, and, and Jesus would respond by using his knowledge to answer them, or sometimes Jesus replied back with a question that would just dump them. Sometimes Jesus would respond by getting on his knees and start riding in the dirt. Remember, lady that was uh, caught with adultery. And they, they come to Jesus and say, hey, do we need to stone, stone her? She committed sin and Jesus got down on his knees. And we don't know what he wrote, but that's how he responded. He responded in one way. Sometimes he responded verbally. Sometimes he responded with something in the sand. That's how he did it. There were some times that Jesus would allow people to take their shot at him. You know, that, that, you know, to say whatever. And Jesus would not respond to it. In Mark chapter 15, Jesus finds himself in a pretty tense situation with Pontius Pilate. In fact, he's about to be crucified. And, and the religious leaders, they, they, they drag Jesus in the middle of the night, going through the court system, of the illegal court system, to try to put Jesus and to get rid of him, to kill him, put him on the cross. To find at the last place they have to go, in order to get the crucifixion signed off, they had to get signed off by the Roman governor. The Jewish leaders, they couldn't put Jesus on the cross without the final permission from Pontius Pilate. And the Pontius Pilate, as you can see in the story, you know, as you know about Pontius Pilate, he's actually kind of sympathetic to Jesus. No, his wife, Pontius Pilate's wife, actually had a dream the night before and kind of gave Pontius Pilate, you no, know, her husband, a heads up saying, hey, you know, you should just let this go. And so Pontius Pilate kind of caught between a rock and a hard place here and trying to give Jesus an out. In Mark chapter 15, we see Jesus respond, but then we also see Jesus not respond. Look at verse number one. They bound Jesus, led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. And then Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews. And Jesus responded. He said, you have said so. Why did he respond? If Jesus didn't respond, he would be denying his own deity. And so he speaks up and he affirmed to Pontius Pilate that he is the king of the Jews. I mean, after all, he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But then we see the next part of the conversation. Look at verse 3. The chief priest 
They accused him of many things. They brought all the charges in front of Pilate. All the, the false charges to Jesus. And again, Pilate, verse 4, said, What well, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus <coughs> still made no reply. Pilate was amazed. It's interesting to me that Jesus responded in verse 2, but in verse number 5, he dismissed it. Why didn't Jesus take the bait? Why did, not, why did Jesus not say anything here? Because Jesus knows that if he opens his mouth, that it would have been very easy for him to answer to all the false charges. He literally could have gotten himself off the hook here if he wanted to. And Pontius Pilate could have been convinced right here in this story where he said, you know what, you're right. I, I'm not signing off the crucifixion. And Jesus could have had all the charges dropped in this moment. You see, sometimes leaders, we remain silent and we dismiss the criticism in order to advance the mission. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus silently allowed evil to take its course all the way to the cross. Why? Because he had a mission. And that mission was to save the world. And he literally remained silent for you and from me. So, that lead like Jesus. How do you know when to respond? How do you know when to dismiss? You know, first thing I do, first of all, I try not to react to it. Sometimes I don't, you know, in my first moment when I get the, the criticism in my flesh, if I'm not careful, my flesh can get, can get the best of me. You know, my flesh wants to respond in a negative way in an angry way. Which I don't react. I, I ask God, I, I give it a space of time. Sometimes 24 hours. Sometimes a few hours. But I give it some time. I don't react. And then number two, I pray. I say, God, how do I handle this? Do I dismiss it? Or do I respond to it? And if I respond, God, help me to respond in a Christ-like way. Christ-like way. I promise you, listen, people are going to criticize you. And the more effective you are as a leader, the more you are better at work, the more of a leader you are at school, and the more of a leader you are at, at, you know, at church and for the kingdom of God, the more effective your ministry becomes the more the critics will come your way. Usually I say this, that if you, you know, if you have critics, that means you're doing something right. If you don't have critics, then you should worry that you may not be doing the right thing. You have to learn how to deal with criticism. You got to learn how to deal with it. When I was first in the ministry, back in 1999, and I was interned at the church I eventually became on staff 
I was interning for about, for about a year. And I worked a part-time job at a mom-and-pop sports store. And when I worked at that mom-and-pop sports store, it was a, you know, they did all the, uh, the uniforms uh, for the different uh, little leagues and peewee football and all the different sport teams. And I had the job of taking a uniform and putting on the back, you know, the, the name, you know, print, you know, the print on the name and the numbers on the back. And, and I would do that. It's not easy work, you know. And sometimes you pull it out and it's got the name a little crooked and have to start over and, and uh, or take it off. And it, 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 it's a real tedious job. And, uh, and, and especially right before uh, the season starts, and all the teams at the last minute shows up and here's the roster and got to do all this stuff and uh, we get it done. And uh, I remember working when I first got hired with another lady, we call her Christy, about my age. And everybody at that play was very friendly to me, all the other workers except for Christy. Christy, for whatever reason, just did not like me. I had no idea why. I was, I'm a likable guy, right? <laughs> I said, you know, what, what, what's wrong with Christy? And I, I, I tried to make her happy, but she would, I mean, she would say words, and, and, and she was critical of everything I did. If I make a little mistake, she'd jump all over me. And she would talk behind my back. And she was mean, nasty. And there were times well, I was just like, man, I'm going to come in and, you know, I was talk, I wasn't going to hit a lady, but I was going to say things, you know. But she also knew that I was an intern at a church just down the road. I was like, oh, man, I'm a Christian, and she knows that too. I'm a follower of Christ. And so it was a struggle. Because there were times I just wanted to, oh. And this went on for about six months, and then they hired a new person another person, and all her focus and anger transferred from me to, her, to that other person. And I realized, okay, it's not personal. I don't know what's going on with her, but she just don't like any new person. You know, and I kind of, we, we, we were civil, and I, there were a couple of times, hey, you know, you should be nice to that person. And, uh, and then I got on that side again. I mean, was just, you could never win with her. Finally, after about a year, the, the church became full-time on staff, and I left that job, and, you know, with, you know, with kind of a, a toxic environment with her, and I was just kind of glad to be away from it. I thought, man, I'll never see Christy again. And I'm teaching single Sunday school class, in a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. A few years later, guess who comes walking in? Christy. She had no idea that I was a Sunday school teacher. And I had no idea she was coming. She sat down. And she didn't even know that I was teaching until I got up to the front to do the lesson. And I could see her eyes, and her eyes just got really big. <laughs> I did the lesson as best as I could. <laughs> I was scared. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> if I mess up, she's going to come after me. It's going to be good. The last place I ever saw, thought she would be, though, in the church, after the Sunday school class, would come to me and say, hey, good to see you again. She actually smiled. The first time I ever saw her smile. 
I said, yeah, what's going on? I said, well, it's been a few years. It's been rough. Began to tell her life story. Someone invited her to a church in another part of town. She went. She kept going back to that church. I finally met Jesus. Became a Christian. She was only visiting that church, our church, on that Sunday. You know, she was happily attending a different church, but there was something going on, and someone invited her to a church. I just randomly pop in here. I don't know that, I didn't know you were teaching. But then she looked at me and said, God, I just want to let you know I'm sorry. I know I was a pill. And for the life of me, what bugged me the most, what bugged me the most is that you kept dismissing me. You never responded with anger. It drove me crazy. Because all I wanted you to do was to lose it. But you didn't. And I was sad when you left. The job. I was happy for you. I would never tell you that back then. Because you left an impression in my life. My friend, I lead like Jesus. There's an angry world out there. People just want to be angry just for the sake of being angry. Why don't we lead like Jesus? And respond to anger, respond to criticism in a way that Christ responded. Or to respond by dismissing it when sometimes you just ignore it. You know what? When it put some rain ass on me, and just let it bounce off of me. Who cares? I'm going to keep serving and leading like Jesus. Two healthy habits. Two poly. We're going to talk about the next two next week. I hope you'll be back here next Sunday. God, we ask you to help us today. Thank you for the challenge in our lives. Get the challenge of our lives. Help us to be stronger for you. So God, help us to lead in a place of humility and not arrogance. And God, help us to lead in a way that we deal with criticism like you did. Help us to apply healthy habits, whether we're moms and dads with our kids, whether we work with people in the marketplace, whether we serve with others here in our church and in our community, whatever that looks like, help us to lead like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.